Welcome to Canadian Defence Focus from CDR Radio, produced by Canadian Defence Review Magazine. This series of podcasts features interviews with leaders and experts in the defence industry, as well as reports and profiles on the very latest in defence technology. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the CDR Radio Podcast. I'm James Careless, Ottawa Bureau Chief with Canadian Defence Review, Canada's leading defence magazine. This time on the CDR Radio Podcast, we are conducting our annual interview with the Minister of National Defence. This episode is sponsored by CAE. Representing more than 75 years of industry firsts, CAE delivers the highest fidelity flight, mission, and personalized training programs powered by innovation. With cutting-edge technology and world-class training centers, CAE develops and deploys advanced training, simulation, and critical operations capabilities to make the world safer. CAE is the largest Canadian headquartered defense company, supporting training of all military pilots for the Canadian Armed Forces. At the forefront of sustainability, CAE became the first Canadian aerospace company to be carbon neutral. Visit CAE's website at www.cae.com and go to their defense and security page to learn more. The Honorable Bill Blair is joining us to talk about the $1 billion cuts at DND, the readiness of the Canadian Armed Forces, and the state of various procurement projects. Thank you for speaking with us, Minister. Yeah, of course. It's my pleasure, James. Thank you for having me. This is our first opportunity to speak to you since you assumed the role of Minister of National Defense. How is your new job going so far, and what does this position mean to you? Actually, James, I believe I have probably the most challenging job in the Canadian government, but also the best job in the Canadian government. I spent most of my life in service and and wearing a different uniform, but the opportunity to serve Canadians, to serve as the Minister of National Defense, is quite frankly the honor of a lifetime. And, And I have been so pleased and honored by the opportunity to work very closely with the leadership of the Canadian Armed Forces and to travel across the country, even around the globe, and meet with men and women who are serving in the Canadian Armed Forces uniform. It really is an extraordinary opportunity and um, a great honor. What are D&D's top priorities going forward in 2024? We have a number of significant ones. We are fully engaged in the reconstitution of the Canadian Armed Forces, I think for a, a very long period of time. Um, There were a number of challenges that the Canadian Armed Forces have faced. Um, We've seen it with uh, our aging uh, fleet of of ships, with some of the challenges in in procurement, and perhaps the most significant challenge that the Canadian Armed Forces is currently facing is the recruitment and the retention of of the very best and the brightest to serve in the forces, in in the Air Force, the Navy, and and in the Army. Um, I think there are many extraordinary opportunities for Canadians, but we've got to do a better job, quite frankly, of recruiting them, first of all, into into the Canadian Armed Forces and then addressing some of the challenges that they and their families face to ensure that they can continue to serve. We desperately need uh, more people, and we have a responsibility to make sure that we address some of their concerns with respect to housing and child care to ensure that they receive all of the support and the very best of equipment so that they can do the important job we ask them. Now, it has been extensively reported that D&D has been asked to cut $1 billion in spending. How do you plan on implementing the cuts? 
Well, very carefully, and I, was, I want to assure you and the members of the Canadian Armed Forces, the direction that we receive from the Treasury Board is to look at all of the ways in which every department in the government, and of course, the Department of National Defense is one of the more significant cost centers for the federal government, but to look at every way in which we spend money, but the very clear direction that we received from Treasury Board and that I have given to the leadership of the, of the Canadian Armed Forces and the Department of National Defense is that none of the reductions in spending that we are, are looking at can impact on, the first of all, the capability of the Canadian Armed Forces or the su- support and services that we provide to the membership. There are a number of things, I think, in every large bureaucracy, James, over time, there can be inefficiencies that develop in the way in which we manage certain uh, certain of our administration, in which we acquire sometimes outside professional services. And I want to be very clear, some of those outside professional services are absolutely essential uh, to the support services that we provide to the members of the Indian Armed Forces, and we're not going to cut them. But we are looking at the ways in which we organize procurement, some of our administrative systems. We're looking at at such things as the use of outside consultants that can be, be very useful at times, but sometimes cannot actually produce a, a tangible result that actually improves our capability. And then finally, we're also we're also looking at you know the ways in which we manage ourselves. And, and so I've, I've spoken to the chief of defense about how we manage executive travel, for example. We believe that there are opportunities to find efficiencies in the way we spend our money. But I also want to be really clear: um, as a result of strong, secure, and engaged, our, our government has made a commitment to significantly increase defense spending through that program, uh, which will, over a period of about eight years, beginning in 2017, increase defense spending by nearly 70 percent. And at the same time, we've also brought forward other initiatives for the consideration of the government and the finance department with respect to our new defense policy update. We know that there are additional expenses and investments that we need to make in the Canadian Armed Forces to make sure that they have the capability and the readiness to answer the call for domestic callouts in our responsibilities in the Arctic, particularly for NATO, for NORAD, and in the Indo-Pacific. And so there are significant new investments that need to be made. But when we make those investments, we have to make sure that we're spending Canadian tax dollars efficiently and wisely, and that we are getting them a, a real return um, in the Department of National Defense for Canadians' investment in defense. On November 7th, 2023, the RCF commander publicly stated that the RCAF is not ready for conflict. On November 27th, the Royal Canadian Navy issued a YouTube video stating that they could fail to meet their readiness commitments in 2024. What is your response to these statements? Well, we have been responding to those statements. I work very, very closely with General Kenny and, and, and Admiral Topshi, um, and also with the, the Chief of Defense and, of course, General Paul and the, and the Canadian Armed Forces. We're all seized with the important task of making sure that we make the investments and have a, create a capability and readiness for the Canadian Armed Forces. It's an all-hands-on-deck effort. I very much respect the perspectives that, that have been shared by the Canadian Armed Forces leadership with respect to their concerns. And at the same time, it's our job, all of us collectively, to respond to those concerns. We've made, for example, to Admiral Topshi's comments, we've made a, a real commitment to perhaps the largest investment um, in Canadian naval capability in Canada's history um, through the National Shipbuilding Strategy. But Admiral Topshi, quite appropriately, is expressing concern about the timeliness of, of the delivery of that capability and the, the urgent need to continue to maintain, for example, the Halifax class ships and the, the Victoria class submarines. And, and so, you know, he is quite rightfully um, expressing concern about the need to continue to invest and make sure we have the resources necessary to keep that fleet afloat while we deliver on our national shipbuilding strategy, 15 new surface combatant 
vessels, for example, two additional vessels to service that fleet. And we are well underway in the development of the delivery of six um, Arctic offshore patrol vessels. But the other thing that, that Admiral Topsheet identified, and I think which is a concern right across um, the Canadian Armed Forces, is the need to continue to recruit and retain the very best people so that we can not only have the platforms for our, our, our forces to operate on, but the very best people in order to staff them. And that requires providing, making investments in their training, making investments um, in, in their service. And I don't talk she's identified that. With respect to General Kenny, he does acknowledge that we needed to make significant new investments. But I would also point out that we've done just that. And over the past uh, number of years, we've, we've, we've invested in over 148 new aircraft. And, and for example, we've, we've made a commitment to the F-35 fighter aircraft. We've made a decision earlier last fall with respect to the, the multi-mission aircraft, the, the P-8 that we're going to acquire. We've also made real progress on, on our procurement of, of the, the, the RPAS drone uh, system. There, there are a number of very significant investments we're making in, in new platforms, but also investments in those airfields, in the facilities that are there, the infrastructure that is required, and the training and recruitment of the people that we're going to need to fly them. So we are in the, in the process right now, with, and, and, and I understand there's some frustration. I share it with how long these procurement processes take. But we're making the investments and we're going to deliver on that capability. We're listening um, to, to the leadership of the Canadian Armed Forces and the men and women who serve in it. And we're doing everything we can to expedite those procurement processes and get them the equipment, the platforms, the infrastructure and the support that they need. Canada's defense and aerospace industries have been eagerly awaiting the defense policy update, DPU for short. Can you give our listeners an idea of what to expect from the DPU when it comes through? Absolutely. And first of all, as I said, we made a significant commitment to, in the Strong Security and Engaged program in, in 2017 with significant new investments to reconstitute and rebuild the Canadian Armed Forces. But we've we've seen as the world has has changed, as as we've as, as the environment's become far more dangerous. The world is in fact a far more dangerous place with the invasion of the Ukraine, with the conflict that we're seeing beginning in the Middle East and and threatening to, to spread beyond that. Some of the very significant challenges we're facing in the Indo-Pacific and perhaps for Canada most importantly some of the very real challenges that we are experiencing in maintaining the security and sovereignty of Canada's Arctic. And so because of those changes in the global environment, we know that the program that we initiated in 2017 under Strong, Secure and Engage needs to be augmented with significant new investments. And so we've gone forward. The Minister of National, Minister of National Defense has gone uh, to the government and proposed a number of significant new investments. And you know, obviously, there is consideration that the government of Canada has to undertake with respect to the current fiscal environment. But I think we've been able to make very clear the need to continue to invest significantly in the Canadian Armed Forces. And that's not just important to meet our, our international commitments and our domestic commitments for national defense. But I think it's also an important and necessary step to the Canadian military industry because they need clarity. They need certainty in order to make investments in, in their capabilities. I will tell you that the delivery of the defense policy update is a priority for the, for myself, for my ministry, and for our government. And we're working through that, um, the delivery of, of, of that update uh, right now through, through a number of government processes and financial processes that we have to undertake. You recently announced enhancements to Operation Reassurance to boost Canada's presence in Europe. Please tell us about those. Yeah, I had the opportunity to to travel over to Latvia with the Chief of Defence just before Christmas. And we had an opportunity to, to, to meet with some of the people there. And I also had the opportunity to meet with the, the Latvian officials and the Minister of National Defence and, and their Prime Minister in that country. 
Uh, we have made a very significant commitment in, in Operation Reassurance to NATO to lead the forward battle group uh, there. And we've made a commitment to increase its strength. Uh, right now, we have about 1,000 personnel deployed there, but we're going to raise that to brigade strength. We're working very, very closely with some international allies. We've recently had a very important announcement from um, the, the Swedish government that they're joining that commitment in Latvia. But it's not just a matter of deploying personnel. We have to make sure that we have the air defense systems. We've recently moved about 15 Leopard tanks over into Latvia for our people's uh, use as well. We've got to make significant new investments in making sure that they have the munitions, the ammunition, the air defense systems, the, the platform and equipment. And we're working very closely with the Latvian government to make sure that the infrastructure is in place so that there is appropriate housing and infrastructure there for the Canadian Armed Forces deployment. It's part of our NATO commitment. We are absolutely committed to delivering on it. And one of the reasons I went there was to make sure that we were on track and we had a clear understanding of what needed to be done and that the work was going to proceed. We are committed to, and we've, we've made a commitment to the Latvian government to be there and to stand up that brigade in 2026. And there's a very clear schedule, I think, of, of delivery of a number of capabilities that are going to be important there. Now, you've mentioned a few times that the CAF is facing a critical personnel shortage. Where do we stand in terms of getting new recruits? Why are we having problems getting them? And what will it take to keep the people we have? There's a lot in there to unpack. And, and, and I appreciate the question, James. One of the reasons, first of all, I've, I've talked to my counterparts, ministers of national defense, the, the best job in government, but the most challenging job in government in every country of the world. And, and many of them are facing exactly the same challenges, but even in the United States, with the exception perhaps of the Marines, they're, they're, the U.S. Armed Forces are facing very similar challenges in recruiting the number of people that we need. And so that, that's, that's clearly going to require innovation and, and, and different approaches to make sure that Canadians understand that there are real opportunities there. And, and just one of the things that we did, for example, last year is we've opened up it used to be required that you had to have Canadian citizenship to serve in the Canadian Armed Forces. There are literally tens of thousands of Canadians who are permanent residents who, who have come to this country and, and we believe can serve. And so we've opened that up. That work is underway. The Canadian Navy is, is also looking at some innovative ways to get people into the naval experience and, and, and to understand that there are opportunities there. And so recruitment is into public service is a challenge that this country as, as many others do, are, are facing, but we're also responding to it in a very positive way. But even beyond that, one of the challenges we face, and as I've traveled across the country and visited military bases and spoken to the men and women who serve, they talk about some of the challenges they face because of the nature of service in the Canadian Armed Forces with, with movement and deployment and transfers, et cetera, that it, that it can be very significantly difficult for Canadian Armed Forces families to get adequate housing, to get access to childcare services, to get the health services that they require, to essentially get the supports that they need in order to continue to serve, but also to make it, you know, make sure that the, the supports are there for them and their families. And so those are investments that we also recognize we have to make. It's going to, it's, it's a significant part of what we brought forward in the defense policy update. New investments in housing for force members, new investments in childcare services on, on, on a number of bases across the country where people are facing challenges. We recognize that it's, it's, it's important not only to recruit the very best in the bodies, but to address the very understandable and legitimate concerns that they express to us about how difficult it can be. We also recognize that if we fail to meet that challenge, even procuring new platforms like, like our new surface combatant ships or, or, or even new submarines, uh, new airplanes and, and, and fighter jets for our, our forces, 
none of that will be effective if we are not able to recruit the very best people into our organization, into service in, in national defense. But I think you know, solving all of those problems can really make a difference. And, and so we're working very hard. I will tell you that there's a good understanding right across the leadership of the Canadian Armed Forces about our need to make sure that we provide a work environment which is safe, secure, uh, respectful, and supportive of all of the men and women who serve. And we understand our responsibility to make sure that we get the, the very best of equipment. The nature of warfare is, is changing. The nature of defense right across the continent is changing. We need to make significant new investments in keeping up with those challenges, and we're working very hard to do just that. Now, speaking of investments, Canada is buying up to 16 P-88 Poseidon aircraft for the RCAF. There was some controversy over the government's decision not to open up that procurement as a competition. Why was that decision made, and why did Canada decide to purchase the P-8A? A bit of a shout out to Canadian aeronautic industry. We, you know, we have a very robust industry here. I believe it has great capability now and in the future. But at the same time, we listened very carefully to the, the Royal Canadian Air Force, who said that they had an immediate need to replace the Auroras, um, which had been in service for nearly 40 years. And unfortunately, as, as great as the crews that serve on those Auroras are, those planes had reached the limitation of their capability and, and the work that they do for us. In, in submarine tracking, in search and rescue, um, in a number, it's a multi-mission aircraft, and a number of really important capabilities had really reached its limit. The platform itself had reached its limit. And we heard very clearly that we, we needed to upgrade that fleet in order to be able to respond to the new and emerging challenges that the Canadian Air Force was facing. And there was issues around urgency of, of replacing that platform, but also ab about issues around interchangeability and interoperability with some of our allies. And so we went out and looked very carefully at what the capabilities requirements were for the Canadian Armed Forces. And we did give the opportunity to industries, not just in Canada, but around the world, to tell us what they, they had on offer. And unfortunately, there was really only one choice. The P-8 was the only uh, plane currently in, in service which is used by the Americans, the Brits, the Australians, and, and many other of our allies. The choice that we had to make was not between you know, different manufacturers or different airplanes. The choice we had to make was to choose either the only available option that was capable today or to, to enter into a program of what we call a developmental option, which we know from, from long experience can take a significant amount of time has a great deal of uncertainty with respect to delivery of capability and, and times schedules of delivery, and for which the cost is unknown. And, and for example, in the P-8, the Americans in the development of, of the P-8 capability invested almost $8 billion in research and design of, of that aircraft. And so we recognize that that was, unfortunately, created a situation where we would not have been able to deliver to the Canadian Armed Forces the capability that they need right away. And so, frankly, we made the choice, which was the only choice for us. And at the same time, you know, I think it, the, the whole process gave us an opportunity to, to learn from, you know, Canadian aeronautic industry to develop a stronger uh, relationship. And as we go forward, we have a number of other significant requirements in our future. And, and then I think it also gives us an opportunity to work perhaps more collaboratively and closely with Canadian industry to make sure that they have every opportunity to, to, to compete and participate in those processes. And at the same time, we worked really closely with Boeing when we made the decision to go with the P-8 to make sure that the investment benefit for Canadian industry and Canadian workers was significant. And, and so in that investment, we've received strong assurances that this will actually create thousands of new jobs, up to 3,000 new jobs for Canadians 
right across Canada in the, the building and the maintenance of those aircraft. And as well, it'll, it'll add fairly significantly, almost $365 million to the GDP for Canada every year. So it's an investment that we believe is is most importantly providing the the capability that the Canadian Air Force required. And at the same time, you know, we, we've, we've done the, the hard work of making sure that there are real benefits to Canadian workers and Canadian industry. Can you give our listeners an update on the Canadian Patrol Submarine Project? The Royal Canadian Navy has been doing, you know, a fair bit of work in in looking at what capabilities are required, as, as I'm sure you and your readers are aware. We are maintaining the Victoria-class fleet, but it becomes increasingly challenging over time. That, that is, a, again, a submarine platform that has been in use for very many years. And, and our ability to, to maintain that fleet and to keep it operational is challenging and increasingly challenging over time. And so Canada is very actively considering a number of our options. I know a number of your readers were, were quite familiar with the AUKUS initiative, which involved the, the transfer of nuclear technology for nuclear submarines to Australia from the United Kingdom and the United States. Canada is not looking at a, a nuclear option per se. What we are looking at is a number of different capabilities, but at the same time, it's it's not just the platform that, that we're looking at. It's also on a, a number of the important technologies. Those are complex weapon systems that operate underwater you know, the submarine program to me is, is very important to Canada. We have the largest coastline, almost 250,000 kilometers of coastline in Canada. We have, we have significant responsibilities and significant obligations to our NATO um, and NORAD and Indo-Pacific partners. And, and we have a responsibility to maintain security and, and defense and sovereignty of our Canadian Arctic. And so investing in a new submarine program to make sure that we can be persistently in those areas, particularly in the Arctic, that we can do it with the required stealth and with the required lethality is, is a priority for the Royal Canadian Navy and for me. And, and so th- there's a great deal of work that needs to be done there, but we are actively involved in looking at various options and, and, and the best investment for the Royal Canadian Navy going forward in order to meet those obligations that we've I've just spoken of. What is your top priority as Minister of National Defence? For instance, your predecessor had the goal of changing the CAF's culture. What is your goal? First of all, I want to acknowledge the, the really excellent work that, that my predecessor, Minister Anand, had done with respect to culture. And we're, we are absolutely committed to that. And we're continuing to, to implement uh, Madam Justice Arbor's uh, 48 recommendations. We've made some very real progress. And we're working right now with a number of my government partners with respect to bringing about permanent sustainable change with respect to those recommendations that will make a real difference. That's a portion of, of what would be my priority. Delivery of the mission is going to require, as I've said earlier, that we recruit the very best and brightest and that we are able to retain them in the Canadian Armed Forces to serve. Part of that is making sure that they have a, a respectable, supportive, and inclusive work environment. But it also involves making sure that we address very legitimate concerns with, that they have with respect to childcare, housing, health services, and supports. It also requires that we invest in making sure that they have modern, capable technologies and equipment, that they have the munitions that they need, the, the vehicles that they need to operate in, the vessels they need to, to sail in, the planes they need to fly in. And so all of those things, I think they're interchangeable and they're, and they're tied to each other because if, if we're going to solve the recruitment and retention problem to make sure that we have the people that we need in the Canadian Armed Forces, we've got to make sure that we take care of them, but we also have to make sure that we give them the tools that they need to do the job. If I was to break down some of those priorities, I am, and I share Admiral Topsheet's concern about how long it's taking to deliver the surface combatant ships. It reminds me of some of the very significant challenges that the Prime Minister has asked me to take on 
with respect to making more efficient and expediting our procurement processes. And it's important when you're spending taxpayer dollars that you do it carefully, but we've got to get the job done. And when the delivery of those capabilities is delayed for a number of different reasons, um, what we often see is that the costs slide to the right, the delivery schedule slide to the right, and the capabilities aren't delivered. So we've got to work hard and keep our eye very firmly on, on that mission of making sure that we deliver those capabilities as quickly and as efficiently as we can because our people need them. One last question. If you had the ability to expedite one procurement project to the level of initial operational capability, get it sped up and get it online now, which one would you choose and why? Yeah, you know what? They're, they're all important. And, and if you don't mind, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit and, and pick two. I've already mentioned the, the national shipbuilding strategy and the delivery particularly of the surface combatant ships and expedited decisions around a submarine fleet. I, I think those to me, strike me as perhaps our biggest cost centers and one of our greatest risks. And the other one that I would mention is munitions. And and what we have seen, not just in Canada, but globally, is that the Ukraine conflict has really highlighted that Canadian industry, but global industry, has been slow to respond to the the requirement of of ramping up our production of of various munitions. And and most highlighted, the one most often spoken about, of course, is is the uh, 155-millimeter artillery shell. But at the same time, there are a number of very significant investments that we're going to have to make in missile defense and in other types of, of technologies. All of those procurements are, are very significant. But the issue of you know the, the fact that the Canadian Armed Forces does not have um, a sufficient stockpile of, of munitions in order to effectively defend this country is a very significant priority for us. It's a matter, of, in my opinion, of great urgency and one that we are going to have to make significant investment in. Well, thank you, Minister, for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you very much, James. I appreciate it very much. And I had the opportunity just over the course of the past week, I've, I've gone through and read a number of your past issues. It's a great platform that you provide in order to keep us and, and Canadians well-informed about the challenges faced by the Canadian Armed Forces. But I also know that you also celebrate the excellence of the men and women who serve and are very much part of that proud tradition of defence service to Canadians. I appreciate that very much. You've been listening to the latest in the CDR Radio podcast series. They are produced by Canadian Defence Review, Canada's leading defence magazine. I've been speaking with the Honourable Bill Blair, Minister of National Defence. To hear more CDR Radio podcasts, go to CanadianDefenseReview.com or find us on iTunes and Google Play under CDR Radio. This episode of the CDR Radio podcast is sponsored by CAE. Representing more than 75 years of industry firsts, CAE delivers the highest fidelity flight, mission, and personalized training programs powered by innovation. With cutting-edge technology and world-class training centers, CAE develops and deploys advanced training, simulation, and critical operations capabilities to make the world safer. CAE is the largest Canadian headquartered defense company, supporting training of all military pilots for the Canadian Armed Forces. At the forefront of sustainability, CAE became the first Canadian aerospace company to be carbon neutral. Visit CAE's website at www.cae.com and go to their defense and security page to learn more. I'm James Careless. Thank you for listening to the CDR Radio Podcast. Talk to you again next time. Tune in next time for another Canadian defense-focused podcast from CDR Radio. Thank you.